Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, my name's Nick. I hope you're well, and welcome to the show if it is your first time. If you've not already, there's a few resources available that I always try and plug at the beginning of the show if we can. Check out the Winning with Shopify Facebook group. I said this last week, there's not a huge amount going on at the moment, but we are planning to do some bits and pieces. So please go and check that out. You've also got winningwithshopify.com. So something I said last week, and I'm going to repeat it again this week because it's a really, really important thing for us to get the best content for you guys. If you could do one thing, if you've got one minute spare and you could do me a quick favor, please go on to winningwithshopify.com and just submit on one of our forms a really short, sharp, snappy idea, something you want to hear about on the podcast. Because it's all very well, us bringing guests in and that sort of thing, but actually all of our best shows over the last three or four weeks, and possibly three or four months as well, have been off the back of people recommending certain speakers that we should bring in, certain topics we should cover, and certain things we should talk about. Um, I've been joking about attribution for quite a while, so we may do an episode on that in the near future because I hate to say it, that has been the most common thing asked for. I just don't want to talk about attribution because it's so complicated, but I think I've got the right guest for it, so we are going to do something on that, but please go and fill out that form if you've got 60 seconds spare. I'd love to just hear from you. What do you think of the show and anything you think we should be covering as well? Today, we're continuing on our series on nailing it for your customers. So looking at all the different aspects of how you can make the best possible website, the best possible business, best products, etc., for your customers. Because ultimately, that's what's going to make you money and allow you to build the business and develop the site out to do whatever you want to next, which might be an exit or something else. Today, I've got a very, very special guest. His name is RT, and he's from a company called Vortic Watch Company. And those guys are based at vorticwatches.com. So without further ado, RT, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited to be here. Great stuff. And it's great to have you with us. I'm very, very excited to hear more about your business. But just before that, give us a quick overview, both to yourself and to the company, just to give people an idea of who we're speaking to today. For sure. Yeah. So like you said, my name is RT Custer. I started Vortic Watch Company. We actually had the idea for it in college with my friend Tyler Wolf. And he and I were studying at Penn State University in Pennsylvania and just had a ton of ideas about watches and how we could make them in America. And as you probably know, most watches are made in China, Switzerland, or Japan at this point. And this was 2013 when we really dove in. And we asked a simple question, could we manufacture a wristwatch incomplete in the United States? Is that possible? And that's where we started. And we, we did all this research. We, we looked into the engineering. I was studying engineering. He was studying mathematics. And we, we tried to figure out, like, is it possible to do that? And through the research, we stumbled on the history of what we call the great American watch companies. These were companies that made pocket watches in the United States in the early 1900s. And today, most pocket watches are scrapped for the gold or silver of the outside case, leaving the inside trash. And we realized if we would save the inside of those old pocket watches made 100 years ago, 
and turn them into wristwatches by making the case and the bands and everything else on the outside here in the States, we'd have 100% made in USA wristwatch. And we put that idea on Kickstarter in 2014, and we've sold every watch we've ever made since. Wow. And we're talking about nailing it for your customers today, but I've got a big question, and I'm sure other people are sitting in their cars or out running right now listening to this and thinking, please ask him more about Kickstarter. <laughs> How did that go? Like, did, did you guys put loads of energy into the write-up and the description, promo videos, all that kind of stuff? Or did you guys just kind of put up the, just a very basic concept and get some good traction? Like... Was it as easy as Kickstarter make out? Because I have heard mixed things from uh, from different stores. Yeah. So creating a Kickstarter is basically like building a website. And you, no matter what, the website has to be clean. It has to be simple. Um, it has to flow. It has to make sense. And you have to, to make the customer want to purchase the thing that you're selling, whether it's a website or a Kickstarter campaign. And especially so on Kickstarter, because nobody knows who you are. Like we were just two random dudes from Pennsylvania living in Colorado, never before touched a watch, you know, that we were going to make ourselves. And now we're coming onto Kickstarter saying, hey, we're starting a watch company and you should buy one before it exists. So it's a hard sell. It is. And, and you're starting from scratch. And we use Kickstarter really, I would say, in the heyday of Kickstarter, you know, 20, 2014, it was just all the rage. I mean, people still use it a lot today, but it's just been flooded with so many projects that it's hard to sift through, similar to a website and just the internet in general. So it was a little easier back then, but but we did. We put a lot of time into it. We tried to make it flow. We tried to tell the story as you scrolled down the campaign. I think it's still live. It's, it was called the American Artisan Series on Kickstarter. Oh, wow. And, and so you can check it out. We, we made a video, we filmed a video in, in my garage and yeah, we basically had a minimum viable product. We glued together literally 3d printed parts <laughs> and said, here's what the watch is going to look like. It's going to take us a while to build it, but basically we take old pocket watches, turn them into wrist watches, and that's what we do. And, and yeah, we set the goal at $10,000. We ended up raising $41,000 in 30 days. And that was successful enough to say, all right, let's do it. This is this is worth it. People like it. Wow. I think it's such an interesting story. And I love the fact that it sounds like this video filmed in your garage um, or garage. We, we were talking earlier about terminology and <laughs> pronunciations <laughs> either side of the pond. But it sounds like an amazing, just I'm guessing it was quite a scrappy video, just a very sort of quick cut sort of thing, as opposed to some of the ones I see on Instagram at the moment, trying to sell Kickstarter or Indiegogo projects or whatever. They're very, very crisp. And it's like, we almost have to have this kind of full scale TV advertising campaign to convince people to buy whatever product in advance. So it sounds like you guys almost was, it might, it, do you think it might have been the authenticity of the video that these are the two guys, they've got a vision. Yeah, I, I can back this. 100%. Yeah, a Kickstarter backer is similar in my mind to an investor in your company. And they, they don't, a Kickstarter backer, you know, they don't get equity, but they feel as though they do. You know, we still have some of our original backers that are, are lifelong customers for us and they've bought several watches and they, they and our current investors, they basically say the same thing. And it's that they invested in us, me and Tyler. They, they thought the idea was cool, but they, to your point, it was, it was genuine. The video we made, the story we told, it was just like, Hey, we're going to do this. And we'd really like you to come along on that journey with us. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think I think it certainly sounds like an interesting springboard, certainly for you guys. And I think you've probably hit the nail on the head, even calling it artisan. 
for example, it's using language that there's certain words that it's, it's just good branding. You can instantly hear that and you know what sort of level of quality you're going to get and this kind of thing with it. On that note, tell us a bit about the product range at the moment and specifically, and again, I mentioned this before we started recording, the products are not, I'm not going to say cheap because it's all relative to what the customer's got, but <laughs> there are cheaper watches out there, aren't there? Is it, this is a considered investment or, or purchase for anybody. Yes, our price range is 2000 to 10000 US dollars. And that is in the luxury watch realm considered mid-range. Obviously, you can buy a watch for $10 you know, at, at Walmart or something. And then you can buy a Rolex or something even higher quality than that for you know tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so we're pretty much in the middle. And to your point, it is an investment. But we we only do one thing. We take pocket watches and we turn them into wristwatches. And every single watch that we make, every unit of product is one of a kind. Hmm. A lot of people say, you know, these are one of a kind or it's unique, you know, but they're talking about the design. The design is one of a kind or the design is unique. We literally make every single unit of product differently. They're all one of a kind, literally. And that's what really separates us. And so the watch industry calls it a unique piece. Mm. And and we call them conversation pieces. So the watch that I have on my wrist, you can't buy. Like it's there's no other watch like it. There's ones that look kind of similar, but because it's a hundred year old pocket watch inside the odds of us finding another one that's the same are almost zero. And we can only make about 400 watches a year. So it's one of those, you know, use the word niche before I'm going to pronounce it like that. It's a very niche (laughs) Niche. business, right? So yeah, so so we're in that we're in a small industry and watches and jewelry. And then we've niched it down to just this very specific thing. And and that's what we do. And, and, And because we can only make about 400 watches a year, we make one every day. And so every day, Monday through Friday, on our website at 12 noon Mountain Time here in Colorado, we release the one-of-a-kind watch that's today's watch. We call it the watch of the day. Nice. And and that's what we do. And, and it, it creates this, this urgency of like, you have to buy it before somebody else does. And it also is just a constant flow of content for our website and Instagram there's a new thing every day and it's fun. Hmm. But again, talking about nailing it for your customers and focusing on those guys for a sec, it's so simple for them to buy into that, isn't it? It's not like a complicated offer system of discounts. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's just so simple. It's like every week at Thursday, it's going to be here. Just go and check, check out this post. Yep. And the week that you like one, you just go and buy it quickly. But then you as a business know we're going to sell an expensive watch every week at exactly that time. Yeah. And that's it. And we try to keep everything simple. I mean, just the entire customer journey, we try to keep very, very clean, very simple. You know, every day the the during the week, the watch goes live at, at 12 noon and we do five per week. Right now, we're going to try to get to seven. And every Tuesday afternoon, I send an email to our distribution list. And I, I have a little, little weekly roundup of the last handful of watches that we made. And so if they didn't sell immediately, like the day that we launched them, they usually sell every Tuesday when I send that email, which now goes to almost 40,000 people. So that's it. Like that's, you know, we have other forms of marketing. We have other ways of, of adding people to that funnel. But the journey for the customer, to your point, is, is very simple. And it's just, yeah, we make watches. And if you want one, go on our website, VortecWatches.com, click buy. 
<laughs> Although unfortunately, there's there's a little bit more probably going on customer side in terms of for sure. Okay, this isn't a ten pound Walmart watch. You know, and how does it compare to other watches of a similar price? And obviously, there's a big USP for you guys. I think it sounds like you guys kind of went off the bat with a great USP. It's the fact it's the only one that will ever exist. You know, it's, it's built from an old pocket watch. There's a historical element. It's all American parts, American labor, etc. There's a, there's a lot to it, and I think we talk about that quite a lot on on the podcast. And normally, it's where somebody's got like you mentioned about the episode we did with Jared a few weeks ago about skincare. There's thousands of skincare companies in the US, let alone the world, and that's just the internet plus all the shops. And so, you know, we were talking to him about how do you get a USP? How do you really get people to buy into the brands? But obviously, you guys have got such a strong USP from the word go. I guess your challenges have actually been, how do we get hold of enough pocket watches? How do we get enough good people <laughs> to actually turn those pocket watches into our sellable product, etc., which is quite interesting. I guess a big question in this, there'll be a lot of people listening thinking, right, I, I, I'm going to go find the most expensive item I can and sell that because I just need to sell one a month and I've made some money and it's all great. But it's not as simple as that, is it? Like, What, what are some of the things you think you guys have done really well to reach your target market and, you know, in some ways show them a, a good enough value proposition to buy a watch at that price. Absolutely. So first of all, if you're going to try to sell something for thousands of dollars, especially tens of thousands of dollars without having the consumer be able to touch it and, and see the person first, everything about the customer journey and customer experience has to be perfect. Because if, if there's a, a typo on your website and you're selling something that is $10,000, mm. they're going to be like, okay, well, these guys didn't even run a grammar check on their website. How do I know this, this watch is going to actually work? If they email you and you don't get back to them quickly, they're like, ah, well, you know, I, I don't trust the customer service, right? It's, it's all about at that price point, it's do they trust you to, to execute on the quality that you say that product is on your website? And in my opinion, one of the best ways to build trust is by building a brand. And building a brand takes a lot of time. It does. The best example is, is, is Rolex or Omega, right? Like, uh, let's just stick on Rolex for a second. People trust Rolex because they see that brand everywhere. Rolex spends a billion dollars a year on putting its logo on literally everything we ever touch that's high end. Hmm. And so that builds trust it's like oh i see you know the word rolex is all over all the golf tournaments all over all the train stations like they own time similar to omega they sponsor every single olympics they put watches on every astronaut that builds a brand that builds trust and they've been doing that those two companies for nearly a hundred years mm. so for us from the beginning we set out to not just build really cool, high quality watches with a story, but also build a brand that people would want to relate to. And I think it circles back to just being genuine, being honest, being transparent. If you go to our website, we put pretty much the whole thing on the internet, the whole process, how it's made, where it's made. You know, we answer frequently asked questions of like, how do you make this part? You know, what do you do for customer service? Like, what happens if something goes wrong? We, we have all your questions already answered for you. So that by the time you get to the website and you scroll through and you learn everything, you you trust us and then you pull the trigger and buy one. Nice. I think just on the how it's made point, I just had this terrible idea. I'd love, I'd love it if there was some sort of law where people had to show how the product was made. 
because you can imagine some of these like Alibaba drop or AliExpress dropship Shopify stores. Yeah. It'd be hilarious to see how some of these products are made and then how they're sold. Uh, you know, in the yeah. sense of just complete manufacture, mass market, plastic parts shipped in, all this kind of stuff. And then just at the end of that, have this kind of like, here's a 200 pound pair of sunglasses. <laughs> You'd be like, well, hang on a minute. That's not, that's not quite right. You know, there's something, something certainly wrong here. But I think, <laughs> I think there's, there's definitely real value in that for, for something like you guys, because that's part of the story. You know, you're not buying a product, you're buying, you sort of said about the, kickstarter guys being investors they're buying into the brand especially at that sort of price as well i mean if you were to compare that to an average salary in in the us per year you know the just just purely in terms of average that you're funding somebody's salary for quite a few months just by buying this watch i mean obviously that's not where the cash is going but it's that same equivalent and so i think yeah having that story on there is really really important and it sounds like you guys have got you mentioned earlier about content you've got so much content to actually work with but again, it comes back to something we talk about a lot on the podcast. And I always try to get the best businesses I can on the podcast. And they've all got very similar things to say about how good their product is. And then a lot of the businesses that reach out asking us for help, we look at the product and we're like, oh, this is just, you know, it's, it's another sunglasses shop selling the same stuff out the same factory in China. And it's like, there's just no differentiator. It's going to be difficult to market. That, partly why they've reached out for help, but also it's going to be difficult. And so... What, what are some of the actual kind of mechanisms you use or systems like? Do you guys use video quite a lot for that? Do you have a full-time high-end photographer who just taking pictures constantly and sharing them out on the platform? Like, what, what are some of the ways you, you've created that content and make sure that the, the actual content format itself is also premium? Because there's always that danger of if you film it on a phone, it's going to look rubbish. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. So we have, we have a photo studio in the watchmaking workshop. And we take photos of every single watch when it's complete. And we put those photos um, on the website. Each watch has its own landing page where it's sold. And we tell the story of that particular watch. We have five to 10 photos of that particular watch. And then we have other informational pages on the website where we have videos of behind the scenes, how it's made. And that's, that's one of the best ways we found is, is just you know, taking photos of the whole process, taking photos of the finished product. And then when we, when there's time, and especially if a watch has a really cool story, then we make a video of it. The The best example is vorticwatches.com slash military. Hmm. We make a military edition. And those are, are pocket watches that were flown in uh, World War II. Wow. In bomber aircraft by the Allied forces. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's a really cool piece of military history. And we convert those pocket watches into wrist watches, make them usable again. And, it, you know, it's like wearing a piece of military history on your wrist. So when we do something like that, we do a bunch of video. And, and I have the, the video that's on the top of that page is me on a stand up talking to the camera with a bunch of B-roll overlaid of up close with the watch, how it's made. Hmm. And and that's that's the other thing we try to do is is we try to make everything personal we try to to write things, you know, sometimes the emails come in third person, sometimes they're in first person. And, and we're, we're storytellers, you know, every watch has a story, and we try to tell it the best way we can. And to your point, most of the time, that's uh, with images and video. I'm just, I've literally just gone on your Instagram, actually, which I've never done during a podcast, but I'm just so intrigued about the photography studio and stuff. And what's interesting is, you guys are not on Instagram, you I think you've nailed it in the sense you're not going mass market at all, are you? We're not talking like 500,000 likes in every picture or whatever. It's 
it's almost like you're only speaking to your little pool of customers that you know is super important. And it very much speaks to, I quoted John Wanamaker again last week um, on the podcast, just saying that, you know, if, if, if I knew which half of my marketing budget was wasted, I'd know what to do with it. And it, again, it feels like you guys have nailed it in terms of actually the, the, the volume of likes and comments seems really consistent with a, a close knit community that love watches, love history and really back the brand. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and that's, that's the goal from a social media standpoint. It's also the goal from our email list. You know, we have, even with 40,000 people, we have really strong open rates and click rates. And I really like to think of that email list and the people that follow us on social media as, as, as our core customers, you know, the people that care, the people that are following us, it's, it's a little community yeah. and, and, and we try to foster that community. And, and what that community wants is pictures of watches, <laughs> you know, That's, they're, they're watch people. They like it. And, and they also want to read the story behind each one because they're either in the market to maybe buy one or they already have one and they just want to see other cool stuff that uh, that we're making. And I, I'll be honest, I'm biting my tongue not to make any jokes about how much time we've got. Um, <laughs> as soon as I saw we're talking about watches, I'm sure you've heard uh, it all yeah. before. So um, many time puns. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, <laughs> so let, let's, let's go back to that customer journey for a second then, because I think social media is an important part of that. Do you have any statistics or any kind of insights or even any gut feel on how long it is between a customer sort of hearing about you and then making that first purchase? Because I imagine it's, this isn't something you just go on Google and go, I want a new watch. Oh, that one's $10,000. That sounds great. Click on that and buy it. That's not, that's not <laughs> going to be the journey at all. And even if that did exist. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, well, I was going to say, even if that did exist, it, it might even be a really bad thing for you because yeah. those kind of customers go, oh, it's not quite right. Right. Send it back. And you, you don't want those returns. You don't want customers handling products and then sending them back. You want everything to go out once and, and stay out as a sold product, et cetera. So, so what, what do you guys, yeah, do you have anything to go on in terms of like what that journey looks like? Or is it just a case of we're never going to be able to attribute all the channels? Let's just be in the right niche places not many places, but be in those places all the time. Like what, what's the strategy for that kind of nurturing process? I, I would speculate in some way that our, our average customer journey from the time they hear about us until the time they pull the trigger and buy their first watch is roughly four to six months. Mm. And that is obviously dependent on the customer and very highly dependent on the demographic, you know, because it, our average purchase price is roughly $3,000. To some people, that's not a lot of money, especially if they like watches and they make good money. That's an inexpensive watch if you compare it to a Rolex. And so for some people, it might be a day, you know, and they just, they like it. They were in the market for a watch. They, they fall in love and they're like, yep, that's the one I want. I would say for most people, it's weeks because they they really connect with the story they're interested they follow along and that's most people in that i would say uh, luxury demographic where that's not a whole lot of money for them we also have a lot of customers where that is a sizable amount of money i mean you know for most of america that's a mortgage payment on their house and so or or more <laughs> and and so they they save up you know and they're they're reading they're learning they're waiting for the right one and, and i think that it's probably 50 percent or so of our customers is is a few months you know four to six months i would say is, is most of that and and the way i've i've learned that besides just talking to customers is we built our our email journey so the intro journey when you sign up for our newsletter 
that journey is 20 emails sent every 10 days. Wow. So for 200 days, you learn about Vortec Watch Company. Hmm. And we also send an email, like I said, every, every Tuesday, we send our newsletter. So if you sign up for our email list, you're going to get one and a half emails a week, you know, one every seven days and one every 10 days for 200 days. And I found that a lot of people make their purchase by email 15 or so. And, and none of those emails are salesy. It's all education. We're telling stories. We're talking about how we build it. We're talking about, I mean, the first email is they're all sent in the first person. I personally wrote all of them and, and we, we tell our story, the story of the company, the story of the watches. And I've gotten really, really good feedback from, from how those emails come across from an educational standpoint of thank you for answering my questions. And that's really what I was trying to do by writing those emails to answer all the frequently asked questions that we get just ahead of time so that our website or our customer service associates don't have to. Yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head absolutely with content. There was somebody we had on, it would have been about sort of nearly six months ago now. And there was a husband and wife who run an IT company where, I say IT company, they basically have manufactured the most amazing data connectivity system. Everything's compatible. It's all plug and play. And you can just set it up and it's, you guys have slightly different laws in the US about IT systems. And, but there's so many questions to ask about all those things. So when I asked them, where do you get your content from? They said they've actually employed a customer who initially was asking quite a few questions, making loads of recommendations, just some IT guy at some company that totally backed their product, but said he's struggling to get his company to buy enough of their products to use across the whole business. And he's the IT director. They then said, look, you clean all your stuff. Do you want to come work for us? And he did. And he's now their content guy, but he's just publishing answers to all those questions. And it's giving that forum where people can ask questions constantly. And I almost wish that like insurance companies and banks, and if you go on any of their Twitter accounts, it's just constant. Like you guys have charged me too much this month. How do I complain? It's like, we'll send you a direct message. It's like, But if they just sorted their web content out, you could Google that question and get the answer very quickly and have things like chatbots to answer more detailed questions and eventually through to live chat 24-7. Like I I think from my perspective, financial services companies should have that as an absolute minimum. Um, I refuse to bank with anybody who doesn't because I want to make sure that if I've ever got a question, somebody is there to answer and I don't want to pick the phone up. Live chat is is the way I want to work with it sort of thing. So again, I think that FAQ content... But it also, as an SEO guy, it completely works for SEO because if you can get in your customers' heads, which reading their questions and answering them is exactly doing that, it's, if you can do that, you've got all the content. So whatever question or query they put into Google, which might be, I want to buy a really cool watch, where can I get one from? They might just type in luxury watches or whatever, but they, that's the question they're trying to find an answer to right the way through to, you know, somebody searched in America, does anybody convert pocket watches to wrist watches, you guys are there and you've got tons of content about it. And it's obviously a one-stop shop. A hundred percent. And that's what I was going to say is you, you, if you do it right and you make that content and you, you think about the SEO and the questions that people are going to ask, then you can answer those questions. A while ago, I used a service called Answer the Public. Yeah. And you type in, you type in some keywords and it says, here are the most commonly Googled phrases surrounding those keywords. And one of the keywords I want to own is pocket watch. And then that made me think like, what are the questions that people ask about pocket watches when they're talking about, you know, what we do? And, And the most common question we get is how to open a pocket watch. 
And if you Google that right now, if you search how to open a pocket watch, you're going to see my hands because we made a YouTube video that shows all the three different ways to, to open a pocket watch, how to do it. We answer that question and it's all produced by Vortec Watch Company. It has over 100,000 views. There you are. I've just Googled it and you are, your hands are there at the top of Google. That's it. And, and it has over 100,000 views for totally free. We've never promoted that. And we get a constant stream of leads from that because think about it. A, a lot of people send us family heirloom pocket watches to convert into wristwatches, mostly because we're the only company that does that. But they're, they're holding their grandfather's pocket watch that he just gave them or left them, right? And they're like, okay, this is cool. How do I open it? So they Google it. They see me and they're like, oh, this company turns pocket watches into wristwatches. I wonder if they can do mine. And we can. And so that's the first thing that, that I've talked about and, and we're going to start doing more of is just to your point, answer the frequently asked questions and then it's free content. It's used and it works. I couldn't agree more. I think there's, some, there's certainly some really interesting questions that can come out of things as well. One thing we've built for some of our clients is a bit of a decision tree as well. And what the decision tree does is it, it goes from sort of what is the query and we quantify the, the first part of the decision tree is we quantify the query with is it a keyword on its own or does it support a nice big keyword on SEO? And then the rest of the decision tree works out. Does it go in the FAQ section of our site? Is it bigger and better? So we make a blog post and put it in the FAQs? Or is it such a big point that it should be one of the three or four FAQs on every single product within that particular collection on Shopify? And I think it's really interesting actually looking at those questions. And one thing I found amazing, and I don't know, I don't know how large you guys are as an organization, but when we've connected the dots between some of the customer services team and the marketing team like that, it creates this phenomenally powerful synergy within the business, purely on an like, internal corporate level. But suddenly all the teams are talking and it gets like customer service or sales or whatever the people speaking directly to customers, it gets them communicating with marketing and it creates this beautiful loop of every bit of information that comes back from marketing. Like people are really searching this at the moment giving the sales or customer services teams a heads up on that. They can read up on it, be ready for those questions to come in. And then whatever kind of questions they're getting as well, they can feed into marketing to then start putting on the website into content. And going back to that decision tree, some of the other outputs we can have from that are, are things like buying guides. So for example, if you're looking to buy yourself a new suit online and you don't know what your size is, or maybe you want to get a custom fitted suit, for example, you're going to need to know how to measure yourself so a company that you put all your measurements in and they hand make a custom suit to perfectly fit to your body, them having a buying guide about how to measure your body to get the right suit, and that guide, you can actually input the numbers and it basically pumps out a, great, we've got your sizes, these are your options for suit, which one would you like? You're already in the sales funnel on the website. And so I think, again, using that kind of customer feedback to pump out SEO content, improves the journey is exactly what we're trying to cover in this series about nailing it for your customers. 100%, yeah. Yeah, and our, our next questions that we're going to try to answer are, you know, how are watches made, right? Hmm. Because we we focus on, on how it's made and behind-the-scenes content, and we put it all on the internet. Most watch companies, like the Swiss, the big Swiss companies, they don't really share a whole lot of that. And when they do, it's it's really exciting because it's very rare that they share 
all of the behind the scenes, how it's made things. And, and that's mostly because they're all in competition with each other. You know, like Rolex doesn't want Omega to know how they do something. Yeah, sure. Versus us. I mean, we're the only company in the world that'll take your grandpa's pocket watch, turn it into a wristwatch. Hmm. And, and so we don't really have direct competition. So we just put it all online. And that's one of the reasons I've heard from customers that they like our company and that's how they learn about us in in the first place is like this is just really cool and so using that transparency we can start answering questions on google and youtube of just like how are watches made you know what type of metals do you use for watches and we can unpack that stuff on on video and in blogs and then to your point you, you you've made it to my website already and you're just trying to learn about something or have a question answered and then obviously you're in the funnel. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's almost like you guys have created your own niche from a great idea, or sorry, niche, uh, from a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to start saying niche now that you say that. You start saying niche, and all my friends are going to be like, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> but, yeah, and no, I think the, the fact that you've chosen such a such an interesting niche to go into to then, I just said I was going to say niche, and I said niche, but it's <laughs> such an interesting niche to go into to then roll out. And as you say, I think, on one level, your competitors are Rolex and all, you know, similar priced watch brands. It's, it's probably going to be price relative, I imagine, or quality relative for, for certain. But yeah, going into that that kind of space and then competing with them, but having such a unique thing. It's, it's a bit like a, a friend of mine works um, at McLaren, the car brand. Oh, that's a cool job. Yeah, it's based quite close to our office. Their head office is in a, a tiny place called Woking in the UK. And he works there. And I said, why is McLaren better than everybody else? And he said, I can give you a thousand reasons why. And I sort of said, well, how can you do that? And he said, well, because every time Ferrari or Porsche or Lamborghini release a new car, we buy one under a secret name so they don't know it's us. We then just literally put it in the back of a truck so nobody knows we've got it, bring it here and take the whole thing to pieces. Wow. <laughs> to see like every single thing, every single part. And, and that's how they compete against each other. It's like, you know, how Ferrari got their new car to be so smooth yet so responsive. And they look at the suspension yeah. and setup of it and, okay, the steering rack works like this. But I think, I think certainly for, for the average kind of Shopify store owner, I just want to make the point that you don't need to go to as extreme as, uh, as RT and the guys at, at uh, Vortic have in terms of building something completely custom. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to develop your own product. But we have spoken quite a lot over the last few months with quite a few store owners like RT where we've actually covered things like how to monopolize your product or how to protect your supply lines as well which I think is equally as important. You know, it's, it's absolutely crucial to make sure you're not going to run out of products or run into any issues with supply. And then if you can do anything, you know, if your products are customized, you can do things or there might be something you could do to make sure that other people can't just directly copy and paste. I, I've known so many companies, we've got a couple of clients like this at the moment, someone else has come in the market basically selling the same thing, but they've got a bigger marketing budget. So they're reaching more potential customers their website looks and works better. And then these guys have a very, very serious problem on their hands of, are we going to invest to try and catch up or not? So it doesn't sound like that's going to happen to you guys because the barrier to entry of converting old pocket watches to, uh, <laughs> to wristwatches is quite a, quite a high barrier for sure, or quite a high bar to, uh, to try and reach. But just sort of coming into land over the next 10 minutes then, what sort of marketing activities have you guys done then? So we mentioned about sort of social uh, media and how you guys reach out on email. How do you acquire new customers? Like, is it all fairly organic, like the YouTube videos, bits of SEO? Or do you guys do quite a lot of advertising as well to directly reach out to people you think would be potential customers? Absolutely. We've tried 
basically every form of advertising and marketing there is. Cool. And, and that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's been almost eight years that we've been at this. You know, we've tried print advertising and that's mm. kind of works in, in the watch industry, but is almost impossible to track. We've tried PR and, and outreach and getting people to try to tell stories about us in magazines and on TV. And that also has worked in some ways, but is also very hard to track and figure out if they came from that or if they just Googled us. <laughs> We've done every form of paid digital marketing and, and that is much more trackable, but ends up being really expensive to try to hyper target this specific consumer. You know, people that have money that like watches is there's so much competition for that demographic on Facebook and Instagram that the cost per click is, depending on how you look at it, not really sustainable for ongoing marketing. Yeah. What we've found that, that works the best is, is we, we just play a numbers game and we do giveaways and sweepstakes. So we give away about two watches a year as part of sweepstakes. The last one we did was a Father's Day sweepstakes where we gave away a bunch of cool stuff that you might want to give your dad. Or if you're a dad, you would want. And and we partnered with, you know, different things that have similar customer bases. You know, a suit company, a nice a high-end leather company that makes bags and shoes, a sock company because everybody buys socks for their dad, you know, for Father's Day. And and then you you basically pool all of your email lists together and each brand sends an email to their respective lists. And it's kind of that theory of like, you know, the, as the tide rises, all ships rise, right? So yeah. we're sharing the email lists and the social media following of all these other brands that are participating in the sweepstakes along with us. And you can increase the reach if you get an influencer on board as well. And, and basically, you know, you, you pay to advertise that, you put it out on all the email lists, and then you're left with, at the end of the giveaway, hopefully 10,000 or so email addresses that uh, those are people that entered to win. And they said they were interested in maybe winning the, the watch or the suit or the whole gift set, you know, however you set it up. Those aren't the best quality leads, you know, because those are people that they want free that entered to yeah. win. Yeah. But, you know, that's a generalization and an assumption, right? If you get 10,000 email addresses from a sweepstakes that's focused on that stuff, then, I mean, there's probably at least 100 of the 10,000 that can afford my product and like watches. And I don't really need that many customers. Like I said, I, I, yeah. I only sell... 400 watches a year. So if I do two or three sweepstakes a year and we get 10,000 email addresses and only a hundred of them are potential customers. Okay. That's great. Those are a hundred people that I can sell to. And that's, that's the way we look at it. And that's the best form of outreach to find new leads that, that we found besides honestly, just like having a good customer service team, doing a good job and having a quality product, because the other way is our customers talk about it a lot. When they wear the watches, they talk about it. Yeah. Their other friends that like watches are like, dude, that's the coolest thing ever. Where'd you get that? So that's why I like to talk about building a brand instead of just building products and selling is if you have a solid brand, if you have great customer service, you have a quality product, people will talk about it. And that is the cheapest and best form of advertising.
Nice, nice. I, I love that as well. Just the the fact that you do the giveaways and whatever, and your expectation is set that we're not going to get 500 sales overnight. And even if we did, that's over a year's worth of stock that we can actually provide. Right. So yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to A, be really, yeah, really realistic about the kind of return you're going to get. But I think also one thing I really like about it is there must be so much brand awareness within that. You mentioned that people talking about the watches because they're essentially a an advert for your for your business, aren't they? They're walking around with a product on their wrist. They're a walking advert, and anyone they know is going to be asking. You know, they're going to want to tell people as well. Like this, there's a good story behind this product. And I think the the, the other the flip side of that is even on the email. I imagine how many. Well, I imagine there's quite a lot of people that have seen that email or even entered, even if they're not in the market they'll know somebody who's into watches and say, oh, I joined a giveaway the other day where we had the most amazing blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you should go and check it out. And that's the brand awareness part of part of that as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and it, it's, it's not that simple and it is that simple at the same time. So I, I like what, you know, we started with is, you know, they say, keep it simple, stupid, right? Like just simple, 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 really clean, really easy to understand. And because, you know, we have a lot of like cold traffic coming into our website from PR, from giveaways, mm. you know, from people just talking about us or hearing about us. My homepage is hyper specific and very simple. It literally says, like I typed it on the homepage, who we are, what we do, how we do it, and how to buy it. Like those words are typed on the homepage with a paragraph underneath and a button. And I did that after I read Building a Story Brand, which is one of my favorite books uh, in the business world, Building a Story Brand by Don Miller. And it's and, and also Start With Why. I read those two books and so did my business partner, Tyler. And we looked at our homepage and we were just like, this product we make, taking a pocket watch, turning a wristwatch, is kind of confusing. Like there's a lot to unpack here. Like there's a lot of stories, a lot of stuff like that we could talk about. We were like oversharing on our homepage, it was way too much information, way too fast. Hmm. And so we just simplified everything. And now we don't get those questions anymore. You know, nobody ever asks us like, how do I buy one? It's like, well, just click, click the button under the, <laughs> under the nice. phrase, how to buy it. <laughs> and, and, and then it's done. I think we always use the phrase lift and shift to sort of, yeah, once somebody's ready to cross the line, make sure the line is as big and as bright and obvious as possible. Right. Yeah. Make the buy button a different color than the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. It's certainly a good start. <laughs> Equally, people go far too far with the buy button. There was uh, some sort of um, analysis Google sent us about 10 years ago, the Google Ads team, and they said, we've, we've, we did a test with, I think it was Debenhams in the UK, a big department store here. And they had said, like, yeah, we changed the buy button from blue to red and sales went up by a third and it was like turned out complete nonsense <laughs> like it's just yeah people don't, as long as it's different but yeah there, there's definitely an element to color but i think on a luxury site like yours you wouldn't use bright red which normally means discount as your buy button you know i think that there are certain color schemes that lend themselves to certain scenarios for sure we're coming up to 45 minutes here and it's been so good to have you with us rt just before we leave last question i was asking absolutely everybody is this all sounds great. and We've plugged some of your social channels, or whatever. But how can people get in touch with you? Like, what's the best way to, if they want to ask you a question, they want to check out the watches, like, where would you recommend they go first? So first is our website, vorticwatches.com. It's V as in Victor, O-R-T-I-C, watches.com. Our email address is is really simple. And so is mine. If, if you're asking about watches, you're in the market to buy one, it's just info at vorticwatches.com. And then mine is also easy. 
RT, like Robert Thomas at fortickwatches.com. If you have a more business or Shopify related question, I'd love to have another conversation like this. Amazing. Well, thanks again, RT. It's been great to have you with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Nick. So did I really appreciate your time and thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And to anybody else listening at home, back again next week. Again, just to quickly plug before the music starts, please go to our website and just drop us a quick note. We'd love to get some feedback from you guys, things you want to hear more about, your favorite episode to date, all that sort of stuff. So please do go and drop us a note. Uh, back again next Friday. We've already recorded a few other episodes, so I can promise this time we're not going to miss any more weeks. It's, uh, it's been a bit of a funny summer. But uh, yeah, we'll be back next Friday. Thanks for listening. Hope you stay safe and we'll see you again then. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.